John 17, 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I, may, I myself may be in them. Hey, good morning, everyone. So we are continuing in our series, Becoming Like Jesus, and last week we had looked at the subject or the topic of unity, and so that reading kind of touches on that, kind of helps us to understand unity, and as Jesus said, he wants us to be in him, united with him. This morning we're going to go look at a very important section. It is a section that has a message for us, and one that is a matter of salvation. It's very important for us. And so... John is the apostle, and he is the writer of the section we're looking at, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. But Jesus is the one that's actually the one that's speaking and teaching. So John writes it, records it, but it's Jesus' words. And so when our Lord teaches, we need to listen. When he is the one speaking, we need to listen. So let's jump right in and start looking at what Jesus said in this section, in this text. Let's look at the first two verses of John, chapter 15. So remember, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So this is considered to be the last of the seven I am sayings found in the book of John. Vineyards were very common in the first century. They were an important part of life in Palestine during the time of Jesus and the apostles. And so if somebody doesn't know what a vineyard is, I'm pretty sure that most of you do. It's where you have grapes. Grapes grow in a vineyard, right? And so Jesus used this kind of illustration, this vineyard, here in John chapter 15 to help his audience To understand the importance of fruitfulness, that's the idea, what he's talking about here, or bearing good fruit in the Christian life. As a Christian, we're supposed to bear good fruit. Vines and vineyards were used as illustrations in a lot of places in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New. And in a lot of those places, the vineyard, or people connected to the vineyard, referred to Israel. So in a lot of those Old Testament sections where it's talking about vineyard, it's usually referring to Israel, the Israelites, or Judah, the nation of Judah. And it showed that they were being far less fruitful than they ought to have been in those illustrations. In the passage we're looking at here, Jesus compares the vineyard to true Christianity, rooted in 
Christ. That's why I used this particular reading, united in Christ, rooted in Christ. Jesus is divine, and those who follow him, his disciples, then and now, are the branches. So we're branches in the vineyard. The Heavenly Father is the gardener who tends to the pruning. He takes out the bad branches, the ones on which fruit are not growing. He takes them and he removes them. The ones in which fruit are growing, he works on them so that they can produce even more fruit. So he helps us to grow even more. He works on them to produce even more fruit. In other words, he disciplines us so that we can continue to grow. And not discipline in the sense of punishment, but discipline in the sense of correction, in the sense of direction. God helps us. He disciplines us so that we grow. And he does this by way of testing and trials. And so through our lives, we go through tests, we go through trials, we go through things so that we can grow, so that we can be better when we get out the other side. We get through those and we learn to rely on the strength that God gives us. That is how we learn, that is how we grow, we gain experience through life. So in the same way, God puts us through tests, he puts us through trials so that we may shine through it, that we may learn, that we may grow, and that we might remember that God is there. He's always with us. That is how he prunes us so that we can bear even more fruit. But what fruit are we expected to bear? What fruit is he talking about? Obviously, he's not talking about grapes, right? What kind of fruit is he talking about? Take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, where the Apostle Paul talked about the kind of fruit that we ought to bear. This is what he says in those verses. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus those who are united in Christ Jesus, have crucified the simple nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so, these are the kind of fruit that we're to bear. We see a list of the things that God wants to see in us, to see from us. The more we grow, the more we are able to handle tests and trials and continue to bear good fruit. Take a look at verses 3 and 4 now, back in John chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4 now. This is what Jesus says. He says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Well, the Greek word for clean was a word often associated with agriculture. To make clean for use is the idea when it says clean here. So no one goes to the grocery store and buys groceries and doesn't wash them off before you eat them, right? Or at least I hope you don't do that, right? At least you're going to wash them, right, before you eat them. And in the same way, we're made clean for, for God's use. So while this is one way the Greek word for clean was used, it was also seen in a moral and religious context. In other words, morally clean. Morally clean. So if you are morally clean, then that means you're saved, right? So when we read, past tense, that, we already, that we're already clean because of the word spoken to us, it is obvious that we are saved by the word of God, that word that was spoken to us, that gospel that was preached to us. Hearing the gospel, that word spoken to us, and obeying it through the waters of baptism. So the word that's already in us. We are then made clean, we're made morally clean by Jesus. So Jesus said, we are to remain in him. So we're reunited with him. 
But we're supposed to stick it out. We're supposed to stay with him. We're supposed to remain in him. We cannot bear fruit if we're not found to be in Christ. You can't be productive if you're not in Christ, if you're not grounded. And you might say, well, I can still have love, joy, etc., the things listed in Galatians chapter 5 without being a Christian. Well, yeah, that's true. You can. But they're not rooted in Christ. There's a difference. It is simply a human achievement. The kind of fruitfulness that we see here in these passages is a result of being continuing in Christ. It is the kind of fruit that God is pleased with. A continual process of bearing fruit while being in Christ. As Jesus said, neither can you bear fruit. That is to say, the kind of fruit that God is pleased with unless you remain in me. So in other words, in order to continue to please God, you have to remain in Christ. You have to continue to bear fruit only found in Christ. Take a look at verse 5 now. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The very thing we were just talking about. If you're not in Christ, you can't bear the kind of fruit that God is pleased with. A branch doesn't have life in itself. If you look at a tree, a branch doesn't have life in itself. Only from being rooted does it have life. It depends very much on the vine that it is attached to. If removed from the vine, it'll shrivel up and it'll die. That's what will happen. Tear off a branch off a tree and see what happens. It no longer has that connection and can no longer bear any fruit or flowers. It can't bloom. Fruit that is really pleasing to God can only happen if we're in Jesus. Otherwise, we're just rotting away. We're just dying. We're, not, we're unable to please God, no matter how much we do, no matter how hard we try. Verse 6 now. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus was used an example of something his audience would have understood. It's quite common back then. A lot of people would, would tend to their, their vines and tend to, the, to the, the gardens, and they would take out all the old branches that are good for nothing. And what would they do? They would pick them up, put them in a pile, and they'd burn them. That's what you did. That's what we do today, right? Clean our yard. We take all the branches, especially if you, if you own a big piece of property and you burn all the, the rotted branches. You burn all the dead stuff, right? There aren't, they aren't good for anything else unless you like... Well, maybe if you like carving things, they might be good for that. You could take a piece and carve something out of it. But other than that, they're useless, right? So you throw it in a pile and you burn them. Well, take a look at verse 6 again, though. I want you to notice something. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If we are not in Christ, then we are useless to God. If we're not in Christ, we are useless to God. We're not useful we're not useful to him in any way, and we cannot please him. We need to understand that. We are like branches that are only good for a fire. Hard to think in terms like that, but this is what God says in his word. That's what we're to understand. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 5 and 8, listen to what the Apostle Paul said here. It says in verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then take a look, go down, verses 5 to 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature, the sinful flesh, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But you notice in verse 1, when we started that, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are united with Christ, there is no condemnation. Those who are not in Christ cannot please God. We cannot please God if we are not in Christ Jesus and controlled by the Spirit. So back to our text, verse 7 now of John chapter 15. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. So Jesus said, if you remain in me. Notice, conditional, if. How do we remain in Jesus? What's he talking about? How do we know we are still in Jesus after we become a Christian? Well, the second part of that sentence tells us the answer. It is if the very words of Jesus remain in us. If his words abide in you, if they stay with you, if you continue to follow them. The fact that word is plural means he is referring to everything Jesus has said, everything Jesus had taught. We have to hang on to Christ's words. We have to hang on to Christ's teachings. We have everything Jesus said and taught right here in our Bibles. And we can read it, and we can know what it says. We remain in him by obeying what he said in his word. That is also what Jesus meant by remaining in the vine. Jesus said, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Well, this isn't a blank check that Jesus is giving us here, that we can just ask for anything. Give me a million dollars, please. That's not what he's talking about. He was telling his audience that he had authority. You can ask for anything in my name. I have authority. Through me, you can ask the Father for what you need. We have to keep in mind that it is by his name, his authority, that Jesus will do what we ask and will give us what we need. It also has to be accordance to his will. You can't ask for a Lamborghini and expect God to give that to you, right? It has to be according to the will of God. If God thinks it's something that you need that you can use for his glory, then God will answer that prayer. So verse 8 now in John chapter 15. He says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So when we bear much fruit as Christians, we bring glory to the Father through Jesus. Keep that in mind. It doesn't say we bring glory to Jesus. It says we bring glory to the Father through Jesus. When we show kindness, when we show love, when we show gentleness and more, it brings glory. It brings a good reputation to God. Because people see us and they think highly of God. Our behavior gives God a good, a good reputation. It's, it's something that we don't think about. It's, it's something that people will see in us, and they will praise God. People see our love for Jesus, they'll see our love for others by what we say and what we do, and they will praise God for it. Remember, God loves to hear that his children are behaving well. How many of you have children? Or maybe your children are older now. And how does it make you feel when someone comes up to you and says, oh, your children are so well-behaved? Doesn't that give a little praise to the parent, a little glory to the parent? How does that make you feel to hear that, that someone says your child is so well-behaved? Imagine what the Heavenly Father feels when he hears that. So, we give a good reputation to our Father. So, verse 9 now. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
We have to realize what is being said here and stay within the context of the passage. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me. Jesus was talking about how, how the Father had loved him. Jesus loved his disciples the way that the Father loved him, with the kind of love that was shown to him. Love is a key characteristic of the relationship between a Christian and God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God is love. God is love. Well, Jesus expressed his love for his disciples by laying down his life for them and for all who had come to him. It was a special sacrificial love. It wasn't just any kind of love. It was a sacrificial love. I'm willing to die for you. That's how much I love you. That kind of love. And Jesus then said, now remain in my love. What was he talking about? Well, take a look at verses 10 and 11. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's, my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So we remain in Jesus and his love by continuing to be faithful to him by following his teachings and obeying his word. We remain in his love. In verse 10, we see something important. It is possible to forfeit that wonderful, deep, tender love of Jesus. All we have to do is not listen to Jesus anymore. Soon as you stop obeying, you're not in that special love anymore. It's not there. We need to stay in that special love of Jesus. We need to continue to be faithful and obey. So Jesus gave us an example of continued faithfulness and obedience when he brought up the fact that he remained in his Father's love by his obedience and faithfulness. Notice he uses that example to, to highlight it and make it clear to us. That's what he did. He set the example. He showed his love to the Father by being obedient, even obedience to the point of death on the cross. That is how far his obedience went. We need to be faithful and obedient to Jesus until death. Take a look at verse 12 now. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So as part of our obedience to God, Jesus commands us to love one another. Very vital, right? We all know that as Christians, that we're to love one another. He told his disciples, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And he said the same thing in verse 17. This is my command, love each other. This command is not for those who are in the world who don't know God. It is expressly commanded that those who are of the body of Christ, that are united in Christ, must love each other. So I think it's important to note here who exactly Jesus was talking to. Jesus is now in the last 24 hours before his death on the cross. He's spending time with his disciples, trying to prepare them for his death and what would come after that. Because he would ascend to heaven and he wouldn't be with them any longer physically. So Jesus is trying to prepare them. He's trying to prepare them because he's about to leave. And this is what he was alluding to in verse 13. Take a look at verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's telling them what he's about to do. They don't realize it. He's telling them, I'm, I'm going to go die for you. So he says this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So he tells them that before he does it, so that it'll stand out in their minds, and they will remember that that's the very thing he did for them. He dies for them. Jesus loved them so much that he was about to do the very thing he was teaching them. He was going to lay down his life for them. 
John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The Apostle John wrote that in 1 John. We're reading it here in John chapter 15. Jesus is talking about what he's going to do. First John, in 1 John, John, uh, John says the very same thing that Jesus did, that he laid down his life, and then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He got the message. And you can guarantee the rest of the apostles got the message too, that that's the kind of attitude we should have. Let's take a look at the last two verses now, verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. He shared with his disciples all that would happen to him. And he didn't keep anything from them. He is God the Son, and not only God the Son, but also Lord and Creator. Now, he, he could have kept everything from them. He didn't have to share anything with them. But he shared everything with them. And he called them friends. He didn't consider them servants. You imagine. Think about it. Jesus considers us friends. Even though we're to serve him, he doesn't look at us as servants. Even though that's what we're supposed to do. We're, ser- we're supposed to serve. He looks at us as friends. And that's something that should encourage us. All who follow and obey Jesus are his friends. So the topic this morning is, how much do you love me? And so I ask you the question, how do we show our love for Jesus? How do we show our love for Jesus? How are we supposed to do that? By obeying his commands. Not some of them, Not just the things we like and we throw out the things we don't, but all of his commands. We have to obey Jesus and obey everything that he has said. And they're right here in our Bibles, and we can read them for ourselves. If you think back to the Old Testament, what was the one thing that the Israelites were guilty of time and time again over and over? Of not obeying God. That is something that we need to do. We know that it says that we're to love one another, that to love one another is part of the commands. We are to obey. When we obey him, we show our love to him, and we remain in his special love for us. And this is called faithfulness. God expects it of us. We are Christians. We are to be faithful. For those of you who have already obeyed the gospel, show your love to Jesus by continuing to obey all that he commanded, and remember that he calls you his friend. If you are here today and you have not obeyed the gospel, please don't wait. Make that decision today. Be united in Christ. Hear and obey the gospel. Let's stand. We sing our last song of the morning.